Everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning and the next few weeks about being a gift giver. I put this on my heart for this month's series. Basically, the understanding is that we're going to go through the life of Jesus Christ from beginning to end and discover the people and the gifts that were given to him, even the things that he has borrowed. So don't miss out the next few weeks and our Good Friday service as we kind of dive into being a gift giver. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And let's talk about a giving. What's the longest time you've waited to give somebody a gift? Think about it. Maybe it was a birthday or anniversary present, guys. Maybe you bought your wife a, a pair of necklace, a necklace or a pair of uh, earrings or something. You held it. You knew you saw the perfect gift and you waited for months or months. How many people waited a year to give somebody a gift? Some of y'all probably put it in the attic and forgot, and 10 years later, you gave somebody a birthday present. I know people have done that before. But um, uh, waiting a long time to give a gift, or maybe it's been a vacation, you have been planning, and it's like you're that last day of work on Friday, right? You're about to go to vacation. What do you do? You probably can't even, you can't even focus. You're probably not even working. You probably should have taken off Friday anyway, because your mind is already on vacation. I don't know what I'm talking about. Right? You're so excited about something you've been given, or maybe uh, you're so excited to give something uh, away. I know as a parent of young people, little people, I know that for my daughter, it, she's almost excited uh, to give a gift as she is to get a gift. I don't know if your kids are that same way, but if we go to, I know say we're going to somebody's birthday party, and she wants to go to Walmart, she wants to pick out the right one, and she's so excited. I remember one birthday party we went to, she goes and she gives them the gift, and she says, oh, it's a doll, before they even open it. She's so excited to tell them, and, and she's wanting to help them open. How many people, kids, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, they want to open it with that person. They're so excited to give it. And as I was thinking about this, giving gifts, what if that described the way I gave my worship to Jesus Christ. What if, if we had church in such a way that I was so excited to come to church today to give an offering of praise to God that I couldn't even get in the door before I was worshiping Him? What if, what, think about it. What if you love to give something to someone so much, just like that little girl, that little kid, that you were so excited, just like to Jesus, to give it to Jesus? And what if that was the way we worshipped? I think about the story in Mark chapter 1, where there's this guy who's got this skin disease. And uh, Jesus comes and he has compassion on him and heals him and tells him, Hey guy, don't, don't go tell anybody. But you know the story is that he goes to, supposedly to go purify himself and go through the ritual process. But he goes and he tells everybody in the whole town. Because when you've met Jesus... And Jesus has done something for you. Man, you get excited. You should want to tell someone because you realize who he is and what he can do. Amen? And so uh, I think about Paul too. Paul in, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, Man, I'm pressing forward, counting everything as loss for the upward call. That I might know him. He says, even in the fellowship of his sufferings, even conform to death, even if I have to go through bad things, I consider it all as rubbish for the surpassing value of knowing Christ and getting up there to where he is. Because Paul knew in his life, he viewed his life as a journey of giving worship, of giving things to God. And he could not wait to the very day where he presented all that he had done for Jesus Christ and worshiped him face to face. 
You know, this morning, you and I are all on a journey to worship Jesus. There is going to come a day where every single one of us in this room will present a gift, an offering before Him. And my challenge to you in the next few months as we talk about these verses is that you and I will be like that little girl, like that person who wants to give a gift, that the journey, just getting there, is so exciting, you're almost unwrapping it before you get to heaven. Because see, this is practice for them. You understand this? What you're doing right now is a journey of worship till this final moment where you will give God everything. But the problem today, I think, and I look around, I've been in ministry 11, 12 years now, is that I see Christians who are lifeless in their worship. That there is no excitement. We've become selfish and self-centered. We're so busy with the world. We're so busy with our own desires and our own ambitions and our own dreams. We're so busy that we don't even come to the house of God and worship Him. We're not desiring Him to open something. We're so caught up and we're not even going to the birthday party anymore. You know what I'm saying? That it's that we've got to get back and say, God, you are my focus. And I'm headed to a place where I'm going to give you everything. But on the way, Lord, I'm going to get excited. I want you to even unwrap it now. Because you know what? What if we worship now like we're going to worship then? Wouldn't that be awesome? Look with me in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. The Christian life is a joyful journey to worship the King. There's this one group of guys who took a year and a half long journey to worship Jesus. And it's weird that we're in the Easter series, but we're going to go from the beginning to the end of his life. And so the first gift we're going to talk about the Magi. And so look, look with me. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Everybody say worship. Worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. And here these guys are right here. My, my friends from Kids Church coming up. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, and this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means the least among the leaders, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people. Well, here's what happened. Herod secretly called the Magi, and he asked them, he said, guys, where did you, when would you see this star? And they said, well, it was probably about two years ago, a year and a half ago. And he said, well, I found out he's probably in Bethlehem. So he sends them to Bethlehem to go search carefully for the child. And they, when you have found him, come tell me that I can come to and worship him. But after they went on their way and they saw the star, which they see in the east, they went on before them and it stood over the place where the child was. And here's what these guys did. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great Joy. Look at that verse just for a second. They rejoice, that's the joy again, exceedingly with great joy. They rejoice greatly, greatly joy. That's kind of what he's saying. It's like, can you imagine what that would have looked like? Just think for a second. If I was to say, hey, you out there, I want you to, we're going to describe you in a second. Do something, what I'm going to say. You're rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Like Publishers Clearinghouse just came to your door and you won $10 million. That's rejoicing exceedingly with great joy, right? You won something. All right? The cruise you've been waiting for. So after coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down to the ground 
and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, that's their worship, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But being warmed in a dream, they went out another way. So you guys can go out another way. Get out of right there. In the dark. Very good. Get these guys in here. And they get. All right, appreciate you guys. So, I want you to think about this just for a second. Who are these guys? These guys were magi. Okay, so magi uh, are coming here, and it's a big caravan. And these guys are scientists, astrologers. Uh, they're from the east. We don't know where. Could have been India, Persia, Babylon, maybe even China. But we know it took them about a year to a year and a half to get to worship Jesus, this journey to Jesus. And this sign occurred in the sky. Now, was it a comet or a star or whatever? I don't know. Uh, nobody knows. It, I think it was the Holy Spirit or an angel because it got him and landed on top of a house. I don't know stars that move like that. But the Spirit supernaturally drew them for a year and a half to worship Jesus. I don't know how many vacation car drives or RV drives you've been on, but I don't know anybody who's taken a year and a half vacation round trip to the United States uh, who has the money to do that. But these guys are wealthy and they come and something, they are seekers of truth. There is something inside them. They have looked for a sign. God has revealed himself to them. They don't have it all figured out, but they know they're supposed to go by faith following the Spirit of God. That's your life. That's my life. By faith. Follow the Spirit of God on a journey to worship the King of Kings. Does that not describe your life and my life? All along the way, every day, you and I are to follow the Spirit by faith, not knowing exactly where we're going or how it's all going to happen, but we know we're going to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. That's their life, that's your life. Now think about this though. What it must have meant to them... Can you imagine the anticipation? Now look, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They got to Jerusalem and they couldn't see the star anymore. But when they saw it again, they're like, oh man, here it is. You know why? Can you imagine all the nights for a year and a half? Here's a bunch of guys camping out in the wilderness, across mountains, crossing streams, facing wolves and bears and lions. They got a caravan, not to mention they got a they ought to have an armored car with them, right? They've got all this treasures, valuable things in their possessions to go across unknown enemy territory, facing who knows what, pestilence, plague, rain, hail, sleet, fog, snow, crossing valleys, and maybe they had to rope down mountains. I don't know. Think about the, what they had to do to go worship someone they've never met who'd done nothing for them before. It was simply because he was worth it. Yes. Think about it. And every night, can you imagine behind the campfire scene, they're sitting there and you're thinking, man, that one day when we get there, what's it going to be like? What's it going to be when we, we finally see him? What's it going to look like? What is it going to be like? Who's going to be there? Uh, is there going to be parades? Is there going to be a fanfare? Man, what's going to happen? Can you imagine? And they get to the next night. Man, so-and-so snored all night long, right? And, and, but you know what? This night. And, and, but here we are again talking about Jesus. We've never met him. We've never seen anybody else seen Jesus before? Face-to-face? -face? I haven't. But I know about him. I've heard about him. The Spirit draws me to him. I'm on a journey to meet him. I'm following the Spirit by faith. And each night along with me, imagine as it built up and it got closer and they get closer, and they get closer. How many feel the anticipation of Jesus' return now? Right? 
Shouldn't we worship him even more? Can you get excited as you get closer? Look, they come to Jerusalem and they say, where's the parade? Where's the king? What's going on? Nobody has a clue. Herod doesn't know. The religious leaders don't know. Nobody's looking for Jesus. That's just like the world that you and I live in today. Nobody's looking for Jesus. Nobody's finding him. But these guys were different. And Herod notices something. He says, these guys are crazy. For a year and a half, they left their wives, their homes, crossed mountains and valleys and streams. They waited up nights after night, waiting to this day. Why are they looking for him? Isn't that what they should say about you and about me? What are they doing? Why would they waste all their time going to church, giving all of their money into something that's probably not true? Why would they serve all those hours behind the scenes and serve and set up and tear down and, and do these things? Why would they go door to door in their community? Why would they talk to people all the time? Why are they always posting those things? And they don't have a clue because nobody's looking for Jesus. But here these guys are. And can you imagine? They get there and they don't find anything. They're the only ones worshiping. They're the only ones excited. They're the only ones anticipating eagerly. And then they don't see nothing. But then they leave and there it is. The star appears again. And they get excited. Exceedingly great joy. I mean, it's like, there he is. He's there. He's over there. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We've been waiting a year and a half for this. This wasn't all for nothing. Don't you sometimes wonder, has your Christian life, has all those years of devotion, all those times of praying, all those times of reading, has it been for nothing? Where is God? You ever had those questions? Those moments? Where is he at? Your worship seems dead. It seems like there's no reason to worship anymore. Nobody around is excited. Nobody else is doing this. But then you get a glimpse that he's still alive. He's still the king. He's still coming. He's still on the throne. And they get there, and I can imagine they get to the house. Can you imagine? Man, they're sweaty palms. They're sweating. They get to this house. This is a beam of light. And they knock on the door. What it must have been that butterflies in their stomach. I bet it was just like a year and a half. And we're finally here. The door creeps open. And there's a little baby and a mom and a dad in the house. And they fall down. They can't help it. It just all comes out of them. They fall down and worship him. And they open the treasures that they brought. What if that was you and me in our life right now? What if we were so excited, so anticipating, with great joy? We haven't got there yet. But we're at the knocking of the door. And we're about ready to just bust heaven wide open. But not everybody was happy about this moment. See, there was a guy named Herod, Herod the Great. He was a wicked, evil man, and he murdered his kids, he murdered his wife, he was paranoid about everything. And he represents the flesh in this story because flesh only seeks to worship itself. And in fact, Jesus says you got to crucify your flesh and worship him. But instead, the flesh, what does he want to do? He wants to crucify Jesus. Herod begins to plot. He plots. He says, hey, these guys are worshiping. He knew there was a prophecy there were to be a Messiah. That Messiah was a threat to his kingdom, his heirs, his authority. So he began to plot to kill Jesus. He knew that at that moment, those magi were going to worship the Messiah. He could have went with them, but he didn't. Your flesh doesn't want to worship Jesus. Your flesh wants to have every excuse it can to get you out of church. To get you in a negative spirit. To find you any way you can to be 
back-talking, to be slanderous, to be negative, to be doubting, to have no faith. And he wants to crucify Jesus. He wants to kill him and let flesh live. Even the religious leaders, the religious people, they searched the scriptures out for Herod. Religious people didn't go to worship Jesus either. They were all in their own little box. They were behind their own little walls. They had it all figured out. They thought they were good enough. Just like religious people today. But here was a bunch of Gentile pagan men who didn't have all the perfect religion. They didn't have the perfect pedigrees. But they were seeking truth. If you want to know Jesus today, be sure you'll find him. If you seek with him with all your heart, he'll make himself known to you. If you come to him and empty all yourself out and say, God, I crucify the flesh in my life. God, I'm leaving all the religious walls and pedigrees. And I think I can work my way there and be good enough. And I'm a pretty good old boy, a pretty good girl. He, you leave all that behind and say, God, I humble myself to search for you with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul. I lay myself down. And that's what these guys did. They're on a journey. And in that moment, they begin to see him, and the Bible says he's the one that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge dwell in Jesus. He, Jesus uh, they said, Paul said about Jesus, he's the one that all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. And they found on that day a king who was born humbly, lowly, in an animal trough, humble, while the angels and the prizes of heaven were up there. He left it all, humbled himself, even taking the form of a man, of a servant of all, and it became obedient even now to the point of death. That's the kind of king they came to worship. And there they found him, and in all of his humility, they bowed him before him. What did they give him? They gave him three things, gold. Frankincense and myrrh. Let me tell you a little bit about these. One, you got gold. That's the most precious metal in ancient times, even today. Uh, this pure, perfect metal that was given in royalty. And now they probably didn't know everything that Jesus was going to do. They didn't all figure out, but they followed him by faith and they responded to worship the best way they know how. You see, Jesus is not judging you on how good of a gift that you can give. Can I jump real high? Are my hands this big or down here? Did I sing real well? Do I have a lot of money? It's not about that. It's about the heartbeat that you have behind it. And these guys didn't know everything Jesus would do. But what they had of great value they gave, and they gave gold. And that was an honor of his kingship, of his royalty, of his power, of his dominion. The next thing they gave was frankincense. And how many people are essential oil people? I smell you. Uh, now, frankincense. They gave frankincense. Uh, it was this sweet perfume uh, that they gave. And, and, and this is a gift of worship for His holiness. You know, frankincense was the, only, was the incense that was in the tabernacle or the temple for the bread of presence. It was the sweet-smelling aroma that Paul mentions that was the offering to God. In fact, as they began to burn that frankincense on this side of the veil... The holy place is over here where the Ark of the Covenant is, you know, like on Indian Jones, right? It's over there. They have a veil. They would burn that frankincense. And in fact, the, the smoke of that and the smell of that frankincense would go over the curtain and into the holy place where God dwelt. God was pleased. It was a sign of praise and prayer and of His holiness. And so they gave frankincense uh, a gift of worship for His holiness. And then they gave myrrh. Now, I don't know if you know anything about myrrh, but myrrh can be a few things, but it's a bitter spice. But it's also a perfume, and it doesn't smell very good. In fact, myrrh was the thing that was used in anointing oil. It was used for healing and medicine. They would put it in an oil and put it on you because they didn't have, uh, you know, neosporin like we do today. They have anointing oil with myrrh. Uh, it was also used uh, for embalming the dead. 
Murder was a sign of sickness and suffering and death. Now, I don't think this was all by accident. I think God ordained exactly what they would give wives. Because here, in just a few years' time, was this king, this humble boy, who would grow up in the Spirit of the Lord and in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, would be upon him, God would confirm him as his son. And he would be the Davidic king, the royal Messiah, king of kings, and lord of lords. And uh, God would testify to this. And then he would become a sweet-smelling aroma for us. The fragrance of his ministry, of his life, would be pleasing to us. We would see him come as a sheep. Uh, we would be the sheep and he would be the shepherd. We would find him ministering to the poor and the outcast and the lowly and the poor in spirit and the broken. And he would heal all our wounds and bind their wounds. And he would uh, offer his life in worship on a cross of Calvary to die for us. And his sin, our sin would be taken upon his body and we would take his righteousness. And because of his one-time offering, the smell of his incense, of his life, of his ministry would go into the most holy place of heaven and it would please God that he would take your sin and my sin. He was a good life. He was the only one perfect, the only one who could ever be that perfect offering. And lastly would be myrrh. You see, as they put him on that cross and they nailed those spikes and they put that crown of thorns and they had ripped open his back to nothing left. They would put myrrh in his mouth, a wine mixed with a bitter herb. That would be myrrh. He would taste myrrh on the cross that day. You think it was an accident that God had from the very beginning of his life, anointed his life with myrrh at the beginning? He was destined to die for you and for me. He was the only king, he was the only one perfect, and he was the only one who could take our death. And on that cross, he tasted myrrh. And then when they took him down from that cross, a man named Joseph and a man named Nicodemus, they wrapped his body and they anointed him with myrrh and they put him in his tomb. And his death would atone for the sins of the world. The Magi were worshiping better than they knew. I think some of us are called to be worshiping better than we are right now. I know I am. And, it, and I can't worship in all the knowledge of man. And I can't read this and memorize a thousand scriptures and worship better. And I can't give in my tithes and my offering and worship better. What I can do is like these Magi. I can let my life down. I can get on a journey to follow the Holy Spirit by faith. I can go through dangers and trials and tribulations. And I can offer God all that I have. All that is valuable and most precious to me. I can lay my family down. I can lay my 401k at his feet. I can lay my pride. I can lay my dreams and my ambitions. I can lay my wants. I can lay those attitudes that are mine. My desires. I can lay all of his feet. And just like those magic for this lifelong journey. No doubt that life, that year and a half journey. Defined them for the rest of their lives. Because they were worshiping. Not just at the knocking of the door. They were worshiping the moment they left their homes. They had their offering in their hand. And every day they were talking about what's it going to be like when we see Jesus. Herod noticed. Religious leaders noticed. You and I, thousands of years later, are still talking about it. What does your neighbors and your families and your friends notice about your journey to see Jesus? 
What gifts are you having in your hand that you have said, I've laid it all down. And I'm not there yet. But like that little girl, that anticipation, man, I'm excited. My life is a witness. It's a journey of worship because I'm going to see the King. I don't want to be focused on what I'm giving up, but what I'm gaining in Christ. Let me tell you three things why you can take this and apply it to your life this week. Three ways you can give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Number one with gold, something that's valuable, something that is lasting. I think gold for me is the lasting works that we can do. There's a lot of things that we can do that really are meaningless. You know, every week, uh, Doug and I were talking about a few weeks ago, like how we mow our yards every week. And it's like, what's the point of it, right? You know, it's just kind of a meaningless thing, but you got to do it. There are some things you do, though, that will last forever. Like Pastor Christian said earlier, bringing someone to church and having their lives changed. Talking to someone about Jesus. Praying those prayers over your kids and seeing them get saved and come to church. There are things you'll do in this life that will be like gold to him. Something that's born out of not works of pride or ambition or power, but born out of love. The love of God for him and the love of God for others. That I do this out of love. Do I, do I, I could preach up here for the power and the pride of Pastor Heath. Or I could be up here and say, God, I'm sacrificing my hours, my time, because it's not for them, that's for you. See, there's a difference. And only God knows what you're giving if it's going to last. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says that fire on that day will show what kind of material your life has been built out of. Some people will come up there on that day and they'll offer things with wood, hay, and stubble. And it won't pass the test. Your life has been all about you. It's been all about building your life up and your kingdom and doing what you want to do with your life. But if you have a life that says, God, I have given everything I have to please you. It's been born out of my love for you. And all I have is yours. He said, that's the life that's gold to him. It's lasting works given out of love. Do you have things you're giving to God today that are lasting, that are worthy of a king? He's worth our very best. You know that? Yes. When we come and we do things for church or God, or we, oh God, I don't want to know if I got to go over there again. I don't care if they appreciate me or not. Nobody knows what I do. Man, you're giving it. Not, you're not serving the church. You're not serving Pastor E. You're serving Jesus. Nobody has to see. He sees. He knows what you're doing. It's all for Him. Number two is this the frankincense. Just as his life was sweet-smelling, aroma, ours is this holy worship. Are we giving holy worship? Holy means to be set apart. It means purified for a purpose. That's literally the, the root meaning of the word. It's set apart for a purpose. It's consecrated for God. It means it's only for his use. And that my life would be like frankincense. That it would be a, a, an oil of incense. To give an offering to him that when he sees me, I'm worshiping in spirit. I'm not worshiping out of knowledge or, or my ability or my goodness. It's not about what clothes I wear or how much money I get. It's holy, set-apart worship. And my whole life is pleasing. Paul says in Romans 12, he says that your life should be a living and holy sacrificing. A sacrifice that is pleasing to God. Paul said when people ministered to him in jail, he said, man, they were like a sweet-smelling aroma. He's talking about frankincense. He said, when those people came and ministered to me in my lowest time, they 
It was like frankincense. It was a sweet thing. Maybe it's giving a cup of, of cold water to someone. Maybe it's making soup or, or, or a sandwich for somebody who's been in the hospital. Maybe it's calling someone and encouraging them. Maybe, and when you do it to them, Jesus says, you're doing it to me. When you're visiting the poor and the people in jail and in prison, you're going to things and visiting people in the hospital. It's not the pastor's job. It's, it's frankincense. It's a sweet-smelling thing. The guy says, man, my people are being the people I want them to be. They look like my son. They lay their life down. They're ministering to the poor and the outcast and the broken. Their life is not all about them, but it's pleasing to me. Paul kind of explains it this way. He says, do you love without hypocrisy in Romans 12? Do you have compassionate, empathetic hearts? Do you minister to the poor and hurting? Do you weep with those who weep? Do you rejoice with those who rejoice? Do you bless when you're cursed? And do you overcome evil with good? Is your life holy worship, frankincense to God? And lastly is this, the things you can bring to God in myrrh. Nobody likes to about this one. Our suffering. <clears throat> I actually did not plan on this when I began to write this message as one of the things we could offer. Jesus in his life was really marked by suffering. You know that not one verse talks about Jesus laughing or telling jokes, but it often talks about Jesus weeping and praying. He knew the gravity of the cross, he knew the gravity of hell. And he knew what he came to die for, for you. It wasn't a joking, laughing matter that souls hang in the balance between heaven and an eternal devil's hell. It was serious business. And it was so serious that the Bible says for the joy set before him, he would endure the cross. He would take it on, not wanting to, but he would for the joy. He would suffer, he would be beaten, he would be cursed, he would be mocked. He would stand there before Herod's son, the same guy that tried to kill him. His son would stand there, put Jesus in a robe, and mock him to his face. He'd say, you're no king. And here stood, right here in all reservation, the one who called legions of angels and just go, poof, you're not a person anymore. I mean, he could really have done that. And he takes it on, all the spitting and the beating, all the mocking. And he would suffer for us. Paul said we were to die daily. Paul said, he said, if I could know him, even in the fellowship of his sufferings, that if anything, I might gain Christ. Some sufferings will do on purpose. There's the things like this. I'm going to deny that pleasure, that habit. I'm going to deny talking about so-and-so. I'm going to deny putting my money into those things. I'm going to deny those hobbies and habits that take me out of the presence of God. That's a willing suffering. And there's suffering that some of you in this room are here today. You've been broken by people around you. You're in an unfair world, a sin-filled, broken world. It hasn't been fair with your relationship with your mom or dad or a spouse who's broken you or left you. People who have talked about you, maybe it's not been fair with the things you've had to go through in your body, in your physical life. Maybe it's just emotional things. Maybe it's been a habit you can't break. Drugs or alcohol or sexual addiction. All these sufferings that we're enduring as, as sinful people who've been born into sin in this life. But as we give our sufferings to Christ, it becomes something that pleases God. 
I can lay down that pain that someone's hurting me, and I can, instead of holding on to that revenge and holding on to that unforgiveness and holding on to that power, I can let it go and say, God, I'm giving this to you. You know, he's pleased with bitter offerings. Think about it. It pleased God. This bitter offerings for these magi brought. And in fact, look at the verse in Isaiah, because you know what it says? It says, by his wounds, by his stripes, or by his scourging, by his suffering, what happens? We are healed. You know what? Your suffering might be offering healing to somebody else. Your story of how you come through that issue or that hurt or that habit might be the healing aroma. It better be you, but it might be healing to somebody else. Just like Jesus' suffering and death and scourging and stripes were healing to us, your life, your story, the bitter moments in your life might be a ministry of healing to someone else. Maybe God allowed that offering for a reason that you could know Him more perfectly. That you might fellowship in His sufferings so that you can really gain Christ. And know that this life is rubbish. This life is garbage. If by anything I leave it all behind, that I can know Him. You see, maybe you're missing out on knowing Christ more than you to know. Or maybe there's things you need to deny and let things that you like right now become better. Things that have kept you from really giving your all in worship to God. The entertainment and the hobbies and the things of this world. You can say, God, I'm laying that down. I'm going to suffer. Other people are doing it. Other people are going that busy. And other people are doing those things. And other people are, have all that extra money. Other people are doing these things. But God, I lay it all down. I'll suffer those things. Because I'm going to really find that I know you better. It's going to be a more pleasing offering. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And it's going to end this way. Because where is all this leading to? You see, there is coming a day where there's going to be this great procession. Isaiah says that the kings of the world will line up. And they will come to worship this great king. You see, nobody... Everybody missed his first coming. But nobody's going to miss his second coming. Scripture describes in an event like this, that on that day when we will stand before the great king, the ancient of days, the alpha, the man, the great I am, you and I will stand there before the throne, and we will follow in great procession with myriads and myriads of angels. Millions upon millions of saints will line up in a heavenly procession, a great parade with fanfare on that day, when heaven's door, just like that knock, finally opens up. We will enter in, and you and I, just like the Magi on that day, we will see King Jesus face to face. Oh, and it will be glorious. And it will be a day with exceedingly great joy. But here's the question. What will you have to offer? What will you have to offer? And are you excited about that day? It's approaching? Or is it a fearful thing? Will you be caught off guard and say, well, God, I didn't get you a present. I don't have anything to offer on that day. It will be a fearful day for you. But for those who have given their life like the Magi to walk by faith, following the Spirit, walking with anticipation each and every day, their whole life has become worship. They will get to that moment and it will be a day of great joy and anticipation and excitement. 
Because we've been waiting our whole life for this moment. My whole life has leading, is leading me to that moment. Are we aimlessly wandering and living life for ourselves? Buying ourselves presents. Say, God, I'm here to worship you. Jesus, I'm here to worship you. Come on, church. Let's just begin to pray. I'm not waiting for heaven to worship Jesus. I'm not wandering aimlessly through this life. I'm headed to see the King. Do you know Him today? Are you ready to meet Jesus?